Picture this scenario. Somewhere in a company's IT infrastructure lies a software vulnerability that is ripe for exploit by a criminal. In some ways, it is a ticking time bomb. Once discovered, it's a race between black hat hacker and the security team to get to the flaw. One just wants to protect the organization and patch it. The other wants to use it as a way to get in, do damage, and steal sensitive data. Hi, I'm Joan Goodchild, content director with IDG, and in episode five of our podcast series, A Hard Look at Software Security, we'll discuss how this scenario plays out in organizations every week around the globe. Specifically, we're talking about flaw fix rates. This year's State of Software Security report from Vericode finds a troubling amount of time to address the majority of vulnerabilities. One week after first discovery, organizations close out only about 15% of vulnerabilities. In the first month, that closure rate reaches just about under 30%. This podcast is brought to you by Vericode, which delivers the application security solutions and services today's software-driven world requires. I'm joined today by Chris Ng, Vice President of Research with Vericode. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Joan. Good to be here. Now, let's start by discussing that time frame I mentioned. 15% of vulnerabilities are fixed within a week of discovering a flaw. In the first month, it's just under 30%. Is that surprising? It's surprising, but maybe not in the way that you think it is. For the 15% fixed within a week of discovery, for me, that's actually faster than expected. When you think about the amount of work that goes into fixing a flaw, it's not just the developer fixing the line of code, but there's a testing process, the release has to have to actually be compiled and built. And so it's not just the 30 minutes or an hour that the developer spends writing the code. So 15% within a week is actually pretty good. Now the second stat, 30% in the first month, that's kind of about as expected. Sure, we would like it to be faster, of course, but 30% within the first month, considering all those other factors that go into building software, is kind of about where I expected it to land, maybe a little bit worse. So the research also finds in some cases flaws can persist for months or even years after discovery. What are some of the factors behind this? Yeah, this is where it gets a little bit more troubling. You know, we find that 50% of flaws remain unfixed after four months, and 25% of them remain unfixed after you know, 472 days on average, so well over a year. And so there's this long tail of flaws that just take forever or just don't get fixed at all. This is not a new trend, I would say. This goes back to um, ever since we first started talking about software security. I used to do penetration tests, like uh, ethical hacking into companies' websites. And we'd find sometimes we'd find a vulnerability and then come back a year later to do the subsequent follow-on test, and they still hadn't fixed some of these gaping holes. So this is a pattern that we've seen you know, year over year, decade over decade, actually. I think sometimes what happens is organizations don't understand the impact of the things that are being discovered. They see this long list of flaws that they're asking to fix, but they don't really understand how they're attacked and what the impact can be on the business there. Of course, there's also costs, right? Everything that you ask a developer to do costs money, and sometimes you're balancing that cost of fixing a flaw against the cost of introducing a new feature, and so then you have like kind of the business pulling against what security wants, and that's you know that's a decision that has to be made by the organization. So you know there's a number of reasons that can lead for to flaws persisting that long, 
And I think those play into it, and then as well as sort of the policies of the organization, what's their risk tolerance, right? We don't really try to get to the point where we fix every single little flaw, right? We want to understand where we get the best bang for the buck, and ideally, we want to fix the ones that have the highest severity, the highest likelihood of exploitability, and when it gets down to the ones that don't have a huge severity or a huge impact, we might be able to actually get away with not fixing those just because they're, they're less likely to have an impact on the business. That unfortunately, that last bit didn't really prove out looking at the data. We actually broke down the fix rates in terms of like flaw severity, for example, with the hypothesis being the highest severity flaws would have the best fix intervals. And in fact, they didn't. So, you know, we're seeing that some of the things that we would expect to impact fix rates don't exactly impact them in the ways that we that we thought they would. And so there's a lot more digging that I think we have to do on this topic to really get to the bottom of it. What stood out to you in terms of differences between regions around the world and the length of time it may take to close flaws? This was an interesting slice of the data. We broke it down between the Americas, APAC, and EMEA. And just looked at how quickly they, they fix the flaws that are identified in, this, in their software for those customers that we have in those regions. And in APAC, we found that they get a quick start. They hit that first 25% of their vulnerabilities within eight days. But then they have a very long tail, 869 days, uh, to get to the point where they only have 25% of the flaws remaining. So that quick start was, was really interesting because we don't see that anywhere else. In the Americas and in EMEA, to fix the first 25% takes 22 days and 28 days, respectively. And don't really know exactly what's behind that, but it's an interesting thing to continue to pay attention to. Will APAC continue to have that quick start that we're seeing here? The other thing worth mentioning, I think, is that while the Americas did the best overall, the numbers are still a little bit disappointing. So for the Again, for the 25% fixed mark, it was 22 days, and then to get to fixing half of the flaws is 112 days, and then fixing 75% of the flaws within 413 days. So these numbers are still really big as you get down to that second half of flaws that are, that are being fixed. So we'll continue to pay attention to this as well and, and, uh, and see if they hold up year over year. There was some improvement year over year on the overall close rate. Can you speak to that? Yeah, when we looked at the previous year's report compared to this year's report, and, and didn't look at the speed of fix, but rather what percentage of flaws were organizations fixing within that time window, we saw an increase from 58% to 70% of flaws being fixed, so that overall close rate. And um, why is that happening? It's Again, it, it's hard to say exactly, but I think it, it boils down to a couple things. One is that programs are becoming more policy-driven. So what, that, what I mean by that is there are mandates being placed on the development teams by the CISO or by somebody up the development chain that says you need to fix things at a certain threshold, whether that's severity-based or whether that's category-based, like you must fix all your SQL injection vulnerabilities, things like that. So directives that are actually things that are being held accountable for, right? The other thing I think is just increasing awareness of the external forces that are that are leading to breaches, right? 
they're not all application security related, but many of them are. You look at many of the data breaches that result in credit card numbers or other sensitive information being leaked, and those are tied back directly to AppSec vulnerabilities. And so CISOs are really looking at that risk trade-off and realizing that you know it is important to fix a lot of these things in a more timely manner. And I think that's driving that overall close rate up as they figure out right you know, where their risk tolerance is and what they need to mandate and finding the right balance, really, for the business. Sure. Now, let's talk about what organizations with those better fix rates have over organizations that don't. Can you explain what the research found there? Yeah. We found that organizations that were using what we believe to be DevOps or DevSecOps practices really outperform their peers. They fix their flaws about 11 and a half times faster than the typical organization. So we discussed this a little bit in a previous episode, episode one, but I'll just re, you know, recount here some of the stats because I think they're so important. When we looked at the frequency with which our customers were scanning, we found that the ones that were scanning 300 plus times a year, so that's you know, basically every day, or even more than once a day, we're fixing 25% of our flaws within three days, 50% within five days, and 75% within seven days. Like that's an incredible rate of closure considering all those factors that I, I described before about, about fixing code, right? When you compare that to even the next tier that we looked at, which was scanning 51 to 299 times a year, so let's call that weekly or maybe a couple times a week. Those same data points, the 25, 50, and 75% closure rates happened at four days, 20 days, and 149 days. And it's really that, again, that last data point that really stands out. They do get kind of an, a, a good start, but they still wait you know, four to five months to get to that 75% point. And then if we go down to the very extreme, the one to three scans per year, that, that last 75% data point is way out at 1,307 days, which is, I'm trying to do quick math here, that's just under four years. So we really did find that scan frequency was the most important factor for fix rates. And there was a really beautiful correlation between how quickly organizations were able to address the flaws that we found based on the number of, of times they scanned per year. And so really embedding that security testing directly into the software delivery cycle has a big influence on how quickly the organization is able to address those. Uh, when we think about DevOps and DevSecOps, it's really how do we incorporate security at every step of the software lifecycle, everything from planning to coding, building, and the continuous test phase to, to release, not just doing security testing right before we release, but figuring out ways to do it at every step in between. And when you're scanning every day, there's that constant reminder that the flaws are there. And I think sometimes that may just get into the developers' faces and like remind them, like, God, I don't want to see this popping up over and over again. I'll just I'll just fix it. But also in DevOps, like one of the some of the principles that are behind that whole movement really lend themselves to better security. So there's the notion of amplified feedback loops that you're constantly seeing, you know, what happens out there, whether it's, you know, what happens after release or, or, or what's happening, you know, during your testing phase and taking those learnings and rolling them back in to development and scan frequency plays right into that. You know, another notion of DevOps is really 
that you want to embed continuous learning, that you allocate time for improvement, not you know for adding new features, but for actually improving the way that you do work. And writing more secure code is is part of that, right? You can you're learning about how to write more securely, and you may have to do a little bit of studying or outside you know, work to reinforce what you're finding in your scans, but allocating that time for self-improvement and, and how they do their work is a big tenet that I, think, that I think feeds into this, what we're seeing. Sure. Now, what are some takeaways from today's discussion for listeners? What can enterprises do to improve their fix rates, reduce risk associated with flaw persistence, and embrace DevSecOps? Yeah, I think this just builds on what I was what I was just saying before, which is scan early, scan often. When you scan early, when you detect flaws early, things are cheaper to fix. The developer has context for what they're working on, and by that I mean, you know, if you find something much later in the cycle after it's been written, that developer may have moved on to another feature. They may be, have moved on five more features before they have to come back and fix this thing that they wrote two weeks ago. So when you tell them about the vulnerability as they're coding it or very close to when they're coding it. They have context. They remember what they were working on. They remember how that particular line of code factors into the feature. And it also ensures that the same developer who introduced the flaw fixes the flaw. Because a lot of times if there's a big gap between the introduction and the detection of it, you may have a completely different developer responsible for fixing the flaw. And so you lose that feedback loop. You lose that continuous learning. There's no reinforcement there. So that's one big benefit to scanning early, as early as possible in the in the cycle. Now, scanning often, we just talked about, right? We showed that scan frequency had the biggest impact on fixed rates of any of the factors we looked at, right? More than flaw severity, more than region, more than exploitability, any, any of those things. It was really the frequency of scanning that produced the, the behaviors that most organizations want. And then I think the third thing would be you know, really focusing on the learning aspect for developers. They need to understand why they're they're fixing what they are, not just like what and how, right? So you can give them a flaw and you can say, all right, we found SQL injection here. This is the way that you fix it. And they can just go, you know, replace that code without really thinking about, okay, why does that make it better? What would happen if this were exploited, right? Really understanding the connection between the vulnerability and the attack. And I think a lot of times what happens, largely because of you know, speed demands or things like that, the developer will just fix the, you know, they'll, they'll take the recommendation, they'll fix the flaw without really stepping back and, and thinking, why did they do that? And, and, and how can I avoid this in the future, right? So that emphasis on learning, I think is going to be, continue to be big. Great. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank Chris Ng for joining us, and you can check out Veracode.com for more information about flaw fix rates and how your organization can address them. For IDG and Veracode, I'm Joan Goodchild.